The facts. In a talent market that is more competitive and less understood than any other time in history, it's the facts that matter. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that delivers the facts, the latest research and data on the key issues and opportunities facing talent acquisition and HR professionals. and welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that's all about the facts, the latest research and findings in the field of talent acquisition. I'm Peter Weddle, the CEO of TA Tech. And this is Shalia Gray from Quadiant. That's right. And she is the Vice President of Global Talent Acquisition. So she's going to look at the facts from the employer's perspective, and I'm going to do my best to look at them from the solution provider's perspective. Um, And today we're going to discuss the 2022 Work Trends Index from Microsoft. But before we dive into that report, let's hear from our sponsor. Talent.com, the solution to finding talent your way. Work with the fast-growing tech-savvy company dedicated to making the search for candidates easy. Are you looking to fill one job? How about a thousand jobs? Do you need a way to integrate your recruitment technology? Talent.com can find the answers for your business on time and on budget. Start growing with Talent.com. Last week, TA Tech held its largest conference of the year, TA Tech North America and the World Job Board Forum. And there were a bunch of Talent.com folks there. And I got to tell you, they're some of the smartest talent acquisition and talent technology professionals on the planet. So definitely pay them a visit and see if they can help you out. Okay, so as I mentioned, we're going to talk today, Shalila and I are going to talk today about the 2022 Work Trends Index from Microsoft. Um, It's a report they do every year, obviously. Uh, This year it was based on a study of 31,000 people in 31 countries, plus an analysis of user data from their Microsoft 365 product, Uh, and labor trends developed from LinkedIn. So this is the second work trends report that we've looked at, uh, Shalila. We looked at the Corn Ferry Future of Work Trends uh, report back in episode one. uh, And here we are looking at Microsoft's report. Uh, And to me, you know, uh, this is not repetitive at all. Uh, You know, uh, as we uh, heard from McKinsey last in our last show, There's going to be more technological progress in the next 10 years than in the last 100 years combined. So change is accelerating. uh, And the only way to get comfortable with that change and to prepare for it is to keep an eye on it on a constant basis. So I don't think we're uh, we're being repetitive at all, but but rather really uh, looking at the ever changing situation that we we confront on a day to day basis. Okay, let's talk about the findings. Finding number one, the water cooler is going to be replaced by the metaverse, and it's going to happen sooner than we think. So here are the facts, according to the report. 51% of Gen Z and 48% of millennials expect to do at least some of their work in the metaverse in just the next two years. And 47% of all workers are ready to adopt an avatar to represent them in virtual meetings within the same time frame. So in the next two years, 
So, Shalila, what do you think? Is this Microsoft simply reinforcing its big bet on on uh, on the metaverse, or is this something that is really going to happen in talent acquisition? So I'm still hoping that the Jetson world is a world that I will live in someday. So, <laughs> and I saw the Jetsons as a child, and I thought I'd zoom around the earth in my lifetime also. So when I saw the two-year time span, I said no. Now, there may be some work environments where that is very progressive and that's a that's a reality. But I think adoption for more mainstream companies is just not there. Uh, the concept of working in the metaverse. Now, I think it may be interesting to do maybe research and development in the metaverse, to do some design thinking in the metaverse. But are we going to really be living in the metaverse? And I, I just don't see it happening. But it's a good thought. It's a good thought, um, <laughs> especially and now the avatar piece. That, that that piece was interesting to me because um, I know that during COVID, I attended some conferences that were virtual, and I was a presenter, and I got to create create myself as an avatar. So I got to create myself, decide my characteristics, everything, and then I attended the meeting from my point of view, and I was an avatar throughout the whole thing. Now, as a recruiter. When you think about biasness, it would be interesting if our candidates could be an avatar, right? They could choose whatever characteristics they wanted. That may take down some of the biases that we have when we see candidates that are ethnic, gender, di- disabled, you know, those kind of things. So I thought that was an uh, interesting thing about people um, attending meetings as avatars. Well, of course, people like to create avatars in their own image uh, often, so... Uh, you, you you could create an avatar that would uh, generate bias in its own right, but but I but I also think there's a larger issue here. I, I have no doubt that the technology will be ready, um, and and as you just pointed out, it, it's already here in some respects. But I don't think we've yet found the uh, a way to ensure that we're getting the optimum collaboration. Uh, to feel as if we're, uh, you know, really feeling as if we're a part of a team, um, and most importantly, um, are we getting the serendipity that happens when you're in the office and you bump into somebody in the hallway at the water cooler, whatever the case may be? You know, there was an interesting report that uh, Sherm published on a study by Columbia University and Stanford. And I just saw it today. Um, And what those researchers found is that people who worked over Zoom, which is not the metaverse, but it is a virtual environment. People who worked over Zoom were 20% less creative than those people who worked face-to-face. So I, I, I just wonder whether we can we can recreate the serendipity that happens in the office uh, environment in a metaverse. What do you think? Uh, you know, I just dis- I disagree with that concept because I believe that I'm more creative when I'm when I'm when I'm when I'm by, I'm more creative in Zoom meetings because when I have to think things through on my own, I'm not as easily convinced by groupthink. Um, I do think that there's something about like when we're doing brainstorming or whatever, being in a collaborative environment face to face to get things done. I do agree with that um, because we build off each other's energy and excitement and all of that. But there are some things to be said about the the the, the Zoom, I'm going to say isolationism of it, 
uh, about how things get done. So I think that's a little bit different. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that the metaverse was such a central piece of the work trends index from Microsoft. You know, when when we took a look at Corn Ferry's future of of work trends 2022, the subtitle of that report was the new era of humanity. Uh, and and I think uh, in some respects, uh, what we're looking at is is the two different perspectives. You know, kind of where you stand on the on the issues are based on where you sit. And and Corn Ferry, you know, is is uh, is an HR consulting uh, firm. Whereas uh, obviously Microsoft is a, a tech firm, so they're going to see the future from a technological uh, point of view, uh, and and I wonder, you know, if if a accurate description of the future isn't some combination of the two that people are going to be more important, uh, even as technology becomes more central to the way they work. Well, it's interesting. So. Um... This that this conversation is kind of analogous to the to the cell phone. So in the United States, when you go to buy a cell phone, you really buy a provider that provides services. So you buy your phone through typically one of the carriers, right? And you get service. When you buy your cell phone outside of the US, you're buying a phone and the service is different. And I say that because um, it was very interesting to me that when I would travel different parts of the world, and you have an Apple phone that features were turned up differently in different markets when the phone is just the same. And so what I'm going to say about that is, is that the carriers in the U.S. were not ready for some of the functionality and didn't turn it up. I believe that, you know, that while Microsoft is talking about, you know, the vision for technology, and we've, there's been a lot of different technology pieces that have come forth in the last 10 years. You remember one time Google had glasses that allowed us to do things. There's, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. The issue is always adoption. And so adoption and relevancy to how things get done. And the relevancy is, does it improve? Does it cut down on speed? Does it, you know, do an interaction that's different? So I think that the metaverse is going to be something that you have to sell people on the concept, um, even while the technology may be ready. Well, as as we've discussed in the past, uh, you know, uh, it, it took a long time for robots to become uh, a, a central feature of the production line uh, in manufacturing. Uh, things today, new technological advances are just happening much, much more quickly. Uh, and and we humans, you know, we, we aren't good with change, uh, whether you're a Gen Z uh, or a boomer. Uh, so, you know, part of, you know, part of the challenge is going to be uh, getting adoption at a, at a level where you're really able to capture the benefits of it. I think as we keep talking about the shortage of people uh, and the speed of newness, I think technology that can bridge that gap is a technology that will be embraced really quickly. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. So, you know, that's why when you look at AI, a lot of the AI stuff that's out there, um, not necessarily replacing someone, but dealing with the shortage. So when I look at the AI stuff, we talked about this in another podcast. The AI stuff on the front end of recruiting 
the piece that we don't like, screening applicants, having those initials, you know, being able to converse with them like a human um, and gather pieces of data in the very beginning to help us put them into play, scheduling them, all those stuff. Those are pieces that get they get adopted quicker than some of the other attributes of AI. I think when you talk about any type of technology, things that are relevant fall at the top of the list. And those are the types of things that we will adopt really quickly. While everything is a great idea, the adoption is the issue. Well, if there continues to be the push for the work from home phenomenon, uh, if it continues to be as strong as it is right now, that's certainly going to encourage a greater experimentation with the metaverse. That's, I I think that's a given. Uh, I still think that the challenge is going to be if I'm a, if I'm a company CEO, uh, how do I stimulate that happenstance, that happy, unexpected uh, connection between employees that really sometimes generates some of the most interesting creativity um, in the in the enterprise? So we'll see. So let's talk about uh, finding number two. Uh, I thought this was particularly interesting. Middle managers are getting a bum rap in the finger pointing around the great resignation. You know, it, I, I think the common refrain has been that middle managers are blamed for the widely reported discontent among employees. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard almost since the first day I entered the workforce, um, employees don't leave bad companies, they leave lousy managers. Uh, and yet, according to the report, the facts say otherwise. 74% of managers say they don't have either the influence or the resources to make positive changes for employees. So the subtext there is that they want to make uh, those changes, that they recognize the need to make those changes, but they can't because they don't have the oomph, the the power in the enterprise. And 54% of those same managers say the blame lies instead with senior leaders who are out of touch with employees. I, I know we could spend the whole show <laughs> show on this one question, Salila, but, but what do you think? Who, who's at fault here and equally as important? I, I, think, I think the truth is in the middle. So I always say that when people sign up to be people managers, it means that they're good at what they do, right? The technical expertise, but they've also got to walk that fine line of being able to, you know, demonstrate the values of the organization, be empathetic to employees, motivate, develop. They've got, they've got a lot on their shoulders. So I hear them saying that, you know, um, it's our ability to influence and it's our resources. But I always say you're still here. So if you're still at the organization, there's got to be a way that you either put a bubble around certain things for your employees, interpret certain things, or some teams or sometimes collectively work with other managers and be able to influence change. Um, so that's the piece that I see sometimes that I'll see managers like, you know, in the great resignation, you have all these discussions and it's like, um, someone, I like this expression, a bunch of people admiring a problem. We all knew, we all know there's a problem. We all see that what some of the barriers are, but what I don't see is someone stepping up to say, how do we get over those barriers? And I'm willing to do this for this. I I worked at an organization, which I thought was interesting. Uh, the way that we did the bonus structure was uh, there were a lot of us that were that were bonus based on corporate results. 
but a majority of our employees in the region were, be, were, were done on regional results, right? And the region didn't do well that, that particular year. And so what senior leadership decided was, is instead of taking 120% bonus payout, which is what they would have gotten because of corporate results, that they would scale their results back so they could pass the dollars down to other employees and they had the ability to do that, right? That was one of those things where they thought outside the box, everyone got an agreement on why that was important to do it and we did it because corporations are never gonna say you can't give money back, right? <laughs> so, so it was a way to get around the problem. So I hear the piece on the managers, but I also feel like sometimes um, when they see problems, they don't think necessarily, it doesn't take influence, it takes data. You know, they get budgets because of data. What, you know, so if you're losing people and there is data about why you're losing people, I believe you have a little bit more influence. Now let's talk about the senior leaders. I do think senior leaders a lot of times are, are out of touch. And why I say that is because I've done a number of employment branding projects and I'll have, I'll have you know, my, my, my employment uh, firm interview the senior leaders about the culture that we have and the culture that we're building and the type of employee. And then we'll start validating it in different levels of the, of the employee group. And it's so out of touch. It's so out of touch of what employees value, why they're there, what's going on. I, I do feel like sometimes that senior leaders are shielded and they don't spend enough time really understanding. So I, I applaud organizations that feel the need to have less layers between senior leaders and the employee populations. I also appreciate organizations that have, you know, they have town halls where you can ask anything or, or a system where, so leaders can hear the noise and they can also hear the gratitude. Um, and so I think it falls between both. Um, there's some accountability on both sides of the coin. It's not one or the other that, 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 that owns this problem. Fair enough, fair enough. I, you know, we, we, we've talked in a previous show about the high level of employee burnout. I think, I think the figure was like 85% of the uh, responding survey population said that they were experiencing burnout. Um, and there's also uh, in, in the, uh, the McKinsey report, a, a high degree of feeling disconnected. Uh, disconnected in two ways, disconnected from their peers in the organization. And that's partly, frankly, being driven by the issue that we were just talking about. You know, we're working from home, uh, we're working in a hybrid situation, so we don't have that face-to-face -face connectivity, but also disconnected from the organization and its vision, its mission for what it's trying to accomplish. Um, and the outcome of that burnout and that disconnection the way to address it is to build up social capital in the organization. Um, and I, I wonder if, you know, the more forward thinking organizations are going to be, are going to start holding middle managers responsible for uh, building up the social capital in their units, building up that sense of connection uh, between and among employees and between employees and the organization. What do you think? Well, that's called the speed of trust. So there's a whole cubby um, methodology around the speed of trust. And what it talks about is, is you bank trust, right? So 
their whole concept is that leaders manage people managers when they build trust within their people about you know uh, honoring their promises delivering on what they say they're going to do uh taking the the it's a win-win situation we talked about in our first podcast um that you know uh, there's no there's no win loss concept in there. Those people build up trust among their people and among the organization and outside the outside community. And so Covey's whole work talks about the more that there is a speed of trust, the more your organization is able to live up to its potential. Because a lot of the things that are assumptions, if you trust the organization and you trust people, you don't always have to validate assumptions, right? And so that, that, that's the whole concept. Not enough organizations are building up that trust because not all organizations are building up the concept of a team, right? Uh, and so, yes, that's where kind of things go. It's funny, this week, I, well, it was last week, I was reading the comments by Elon Musk about, um, about people going back to work. And I was reading the, I, I heard it on the news, but then I wanted to read the actual comments. And the actual comment said, there's a reason for our employees to be back to work because his belief is, is that they're closer because you have manufacturing people. And his comment said that he walks, he himself walks through the manufacturing facility on a regular basis to show his commitment to his employees. And as a result of that, he feels everyone should come into the office to show their commitment. What he, the way he said it, when I heard it, came off really kind of gruff and like it, more so like, you know, you need to be in here. And it felt like it wasn't a trustful situation. But if you read beneath the, the, the lines, that, that wasn't necessarily what he was saying. I also felt like maybe he didn't necessarily validate it by finding out if those people on the line felt better about their work because they saw him. Um, and that's how he built his whole world because I think I'm doing the right thing, then I can tell you what the right thing is. Um, but th but that's around trust. It really is. Now, it's interesting to see how his employees who heard it and saw what I, what I read, um, how they take that in terms of trusting their culture. Well, you, you know, I, I think that uh, there is no substitute for a leader being present with his or her uh, subordinates uh, in the workplace. Uh, I just, I think that if the workers have to be there, then the leaders should be as well. Now that needs to be artfully explained uh, and, and as you say, validated. But I, I think that uh, whether they're conscious of it or not, the people who are on the ground at the front line doing the work they not only appreciate the leader being there with them uh, in, in the environment, but they are they respect the fact that the leader uh, has made the effort to be a part of uh, what they're doing. Like they're, they're like they're all in it together. And I and I think that okay. So I'm going to say I believe in my parents' generation that 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 whole concept of being in the office and doing that was very very valid. Today, the way we work and what we need to be successful in organizations, I appreciate my leader being coming into the office. I appreciate seeing my leader. But if my organization needs someone to go out and raise money to do business development, to, you know, to close the deal on top talent, I want them where they need to be because it makes my job easier. 
So I don't believe that there's one formula for how things happen, but I do believe the way you uh, express your philosophy goes a long way with your people. There was several years ago, the same thing happened when um, the CEO of, of Yahoo decided that everyone should work in the office. Um, and it was very disruptive, especially because if I remember correctly, she brought her baby to work. Um, she was able to do that. And all of the employees couldn't do that piece because um, she felt it was important to be in the office. Um, but their statement was, no, it's important to keep Yahoo in, in the market, to keep it relevant, to keep it important. That's the most critical thing for us. And however we get that done should be the bottom line to the company. So I, I do believe in, in my parents' day when manufacturing was done a certain way, but I've been out to manufacturing facilities. And you know, when I worked in uh, one of my industries was paper, and a lot of our facilities are robotics. So there's a handful of people managing the robotics that are out there. I really didn't care if I was there, cared that if I filled the jobs that came available, that if I had constant contact with them, that was the most critical thing. Me going down to Pensacola, you know, once a month didn't matter as much. You know, so I think that there are many different ways and how we value work today has got to change as we think about people. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so I think uh, the bottom line here is that the finger pointing doesn't really help anything for any organization. It's important to figure out. Uh, what makes an org, what makes an individual, what makes working men and women feel connected to one another and to the organization? It's the voice of the employee and, and understanding that piece, no matter who gets it, understanding that and making sure it's real. Right. Right. Okay. Finding number three, the return to the office debate isn't a question of preferences, but an exercise in creating value. Uh, according to the report, there's a huge disconnect between employers and employees on whether and how to return to working in the office. I mean, we just talked about that with uh, our good buddy, Elon Musk. So, But according to this report, the facts are 50% of organizations already require or plan to require full-time in-person work in the year ahead. On the other hand, 52% of workers say they will likely shift to a hybrid or remote work situation during the same period. So, you know, what do you think, Shalila? Is, is this, are, are we going back to the office, this push that we're seeing, just sort of force a habit the way we've always done it? Or is there is there something else going on here? Well, I think, I think many, many organizations and many people thought that COVID was a pause button, right? So we paused how we normally did things. We paused everything in our life to get through this together. And now that things are getting better, that the pause button is over and we just go back to normal. But that it never happens unless you're in a, unless you're in a sci-fi movie where you can push the pause button, stop mid-sentence, and then continue the same sentence with the same thought. It, life is not like that. And I would dare say that if I look at my jobs that are, that are listed as hybrid and remote, the candidate flow and the attraction is twice as much as a fixed location. And so while you know organizations believe we can just go back and be normal, I, I don't know how they're not looking out their window today because people are asking for more money. We are, we are in inflation, so gas prices are at an all-time high. This is not the time to tell people to go back to work, not pay them more money, 
um, and, and gas prices be up, right? So I, I think the reality is, is that while we'd like to push that button and go back, you can never go back in time. And during those two years or a year and a half that we went through the situation, we had determined that can't, that our employees thought a lot about how they were treated, where they, how they worked, what was important to them, their families. I think people have, for the most part, a different perspective. You and I talked about in one of our, 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 our podcasts about women leaving the workforce, right? Choosing new careers. So I, I think it's unrealistic to believe that um, things remain the same. Uh, there's a in um, in uh, economics. There's a when we, we do certain types of things in economics. They talk about ceteris par ceteris paribus. Everything remaining the same. Things did not remain the same, and they won't. When things change, they continue to change. I think that's exactly right. And and uh, I I do think that there will be situations, there will be certain kinds of jobs, certain kinds of work that will require people to go back to the office. Uh, but uh, how that's done, maybe in the metaverse, maybe some other way is critically important. And as you say, uh, you can't expect people to come back to the office and do a 35, 45, 55 minute commute. Uh, and spend all that money on gas and not adjust their salaries. I mean, there's no there's no puts without a take here. So uh, this is going to be an interesting challenge over the next uh, twelve to twenty four months. Well, we're we're fast running out of time here. Uh, I just wanted to mention that the next research re re report we're going to look at is a report from Public Insight Data Corporation. We're going to take a look at their report, "Winning the War for Talent with Employer Branding." Uh, Shalila, you mentioned the importance of employer branding and how sometimes there's a uh, a vacuum uh, in the headspace in the C-suite uh, about its importance. Uh, I think this report is going to show with data just how important branding is today in terms of building a high caliber a high caliber workforce. So, uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Shalila and I really always enjoy having you with us. Uh, we hope you gain something from our discussion, and we will see you the next time we get together to talk about the facts in talent acquisition. That concludes this episode of Start Smart. Thanks very much for joining us, and come back for our next episodes on the latest research that will help you shape your talent acquisition with the facts. See you then.